0: can we understand something as complicated as a war an economic crisis who do we ask politics is too important to leave to experts we're all affected by it and we can't ignore it you know more than you think and you can learn what you don't know i'm justin pojor and this is the Ossington circle a podcast to help you understand the world and maybe even change it Hello and welcome to the Ossington Circle. I'm here with Halina Mokrushina. Uh, we're here to talk about Ukraine and Russia, Russophobia, and the world today. Uh, Halina is a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Ottawa and a part-time professor. Her, she's a sociologist. Uh, working on Stalinist purges in Ukraine, and she traveled in 2013 to Lviv, Kiev, Kharkiv, and Donetsk for her field research, and I think you've been traveling uh, more since then, no, to that region?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I went to Donetsk in, uh, in April of 2015, two years ago,
0: okay and then yeah. that
1: travel that trip was related directly to the conflict in and that was still unfolding in ukraine yes
0: okay so yeah you're uh, you know the reason i just wanted to mention all of that is so you know i'd want to emphasize to listeners that i'm talking to somebody who knows what they're talking about who's been there who speaks the language who's studying it who's got the academic background so helena let's just jump right in I, where what's going on in ukraine right now and and we can start in the present and then maybe we can move backwards in time a little bit to get a bit of the context but what what where how would you characterize what's happening just right now
1: well right ukraine? now we we have a frozen conflict right with, with two sides shelling each other and blaming each other and 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 uh, it's very difficult to assert who is right who is wrong because uh, both sides are partially right partially wrong and both sides do not want to to make any concession so we are but at least it's not an active conflict you know there are some flare ups but um, all and uh, all we can talk about uh, like i would say, i would say i would call it a frozen internal conflict frozen. within okay. ukraine
0: okay and what's and the, the two sides are if i understand it and please correct me if i'm wrong but there's the ukrainian government and then there's a a part of Ukraine that wants to remain in some relationship with Russia.
1: Well, there is yes, it is focused in, in Donetsk and Luhansk, but, okay. but we shouldn't forget about the whole south eastern Ukraine, right? Because okay. although we we see this uh, um, uh, this uh, emergence of of Ukrainian patriotism. In, in regions that were traditionally associated with uh, pro-Russian uh, political orientation and, and, and pro-Russian culture. But still there is a large uh, population in, in southeastern Ukraine that would like to, uh, in spite of all of this uh, propaganda in, in on the Ukrainian side, uh, they still would like to, to maintain uh, good relations with Russia. But uh, geographically, yes, it is focused in... in, in it is concentrated in, in Donetsk and in Luhansk who gathered enough, you know, strength and enough uh, courage to, to oppose the Euromaidan uh, revolution of dignity, as they call it, uh, in okay. Ukraine and in Western media.
0: Okay, so the, now I think is a good time to step back. So the Euromaidan revolution. Tell me about this.
1: <laughs> oh, when the,
0: when did good. this happen and what were, what were the objectives?
1: Well, you know, it's it's there are several um, aspects to it that we should, uh, I guess, isolate. And I, um, it took me some time to to come to accept this, uh, uh, to see the complexity. I mean, I saw it before, but I was so appalled by this violence that I saw on Euromaidan that I didn't uh, didn't acknowledge to the full extent the legitimacy of of um, people's. Um, demands that uh, were on Euromaidan. It started very uh, simple, right? It started with uh, uh, then pre- the then-president Yanukovych's decision to postpone the signing of the agreement, association agreement with the European Union. Right? We often, uh, I often read in, in Western articles that he refused to sign, but he, we forget that he didn't refuse. He actually asked... For some extension to to be able to negotiate this um, opening of the European economic space to the European Union, because Ukraine had still has close economic ties with Russia, right? And for Russians, it would mean uh, drastic changes in terms of um, you know exports, imports, and and Yanukovych. Of course, he's you know he has many. Um, he, he wasn't a perfect president, right? Who is? And and he took he um, took too much time to um, react right and and this reaction was this decision was what provoked this um, these mass protests on uh, Euromaidan because he wanted he he actually suggested that Europe the European Union Russians and Ukraine holds trilateral um, consultations but. From what I read uh, in, in in the press, uh, European Union just said basically to uh, Yanukovych and to Azar, who was then the prime minister, that you no, know, it's it's not Russian business. It's between uh, the European Union and Ukraine.
0: So this is a this is a a kind of overarching theme of the of the whole conflict, which is that Ukraine, I, I guess in the Russian view, and maybe in the, that part of Ukraine that wants to continue to associate with Russia, that Ukraine could be some kind of a bridge between uh, Russia and, and Europe, and in the European view, uh, Ukraine should just be part of Europe and, and completely disassociated from Russia, which is historically... Uh, and geographically probably problematic for even a, a large number of Ukrainians as well as Russians. Is that fair?
1: Well, you know, Ukraine, since the dissolution the, the of the Soviet Union, right, in '91, the first Ukrainian president, um, Kravchuk, he, uh, from the beginning, like many o- other Eastern European countries, what was the alternative to the different uh, the Soviet Union? Only, you know, Western Europe with its liberal democracy. Because if we step back and look at the large uh, world scale, right, these are two alternatives. We have socialism or communism, as as it it is called here, and capitalism, right? So it's quite natural that with the um, the dissolution of of the socialist slash communist system, the only alternative was this uh, liberal democracy in Western Europe. So um, Kravchuk, right from the beginning, he declared that Ukrainian uh, you know, foreign in in foreign policy, in domestic policy, uh, he that Ukraine would join Europe, right? And that's what they all the Ukrainian presidents declared. No matter uh, they were called, you know, pro-Russian, but they have never been pro-Russian. Kuchma never been pro-Russian uh, president. Yanukovych has never been pro-Russian resident, president. You know, he he grew up in that region of Ukraine. Of course, he's pro-Russian in that regard but he always you know when they moved to kyiv they embraced the national framework for internal and uh, foreign policy so they were for uh, they were following the ukrainian interests and yes ukraine has always been like you know this transition zone between europe and, and russia and that balance Unfortunately was broken when Ukraine was put before this necessity absolutely stupid to choose between Europe and Russia and that's what happened you know this fragile equilibrium was broken and and that was Europe who put this discussion who put this question you know it's either me, us or Russia, and it should not have been this way and I believe sorry I believe Europeans they underestimated you know that um this, the depth of this division within Ukraine. They always, of course, it's a commonplace, you know, in Ukrainian studies and political discourse. Ukraine is a, is a divided country, but you know, nobody realized to what extent what tragedy it would bring if you put this country into the, this impossible uh, you know, dilemma to choose either or. Sorry. So
0: I'm I'm here in Canada. You're in Canada. I have a lot of Ukrainian friends that I grew up with, and what i hear from folks that i grew up with that are you know ukrainian diaspora is a lot of hatred towards russia and they go back to the famines of the 30s or they go back to uh, you know what they what, what they argue is a very exploitative uh, arguably even imperialist relationship that russia has had with ukraine and they uh, are very sympathetic to the idea that ukraine should be part of uh, europe and should you know should Finished with Russia altogether, and uh, and and I just how how what might they be missing in terms of the the feelings of people that are on the ground? Is there is there some disconnect potentially between the Ukrainian diaspora in Canada that's quite influential in in Canadian politics in many ways, and people in the Ukraine and and their sense of what what's happening? In, By the your... way,
1: it's ukraine not the ukraine
0: oh sorry <laughs> it's, it's people in
1: ukraine. yeah, you yeah
0: know, well, my
1: apologies. yes there are there are many aspects i could talk <laughs> about but yes. the bottom uh, the the main um, problem for the ukrainian diaspora and you know i was part of that diaspora i was active in, in in the ukrainian community here in ottawa i was vice president of a ukrainian canadian organization mm-hmm. and when this hero maidan started I, I i had to step back and I broke all my ties you know it it was quite a, it, it is still a sort of uh, you know it's difficult for me personally because I know those people and I love those people and I respect them a lot but the moment uh, I start talking about Russia it's, you know it's it's all over these uh, smart intelligent uh, people they just disappear and then the, the hatred comes in I I that's what I that the reaction that I had and what they are missing, because we when we are talking about the active Ukrainian diaspora, right, the one who is vociferous in Canadian politics, these are children and grandchildren of of Ukrainians who um, uh, escaped Ukraine uh, during the Second World War, right? They they when uh, Soviets were advancing and 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 uh, um, they have bad memories of of, of of because they never lived, you know, these. Their they parents and grandparents—they never lived in Soviet Ukraine, and there is a lot of stereotypes about Soviet Ukraine, uh, which, is, which ties into this Western, you know, dominant narrative about Soviet Union as, as a repressive, to, to, totalitarian society and, and all of that. And of course, they don't like—they uh, don't like Russians. But they don't hate Russia, a certain type of Russia, right? It's Russia that is uh, imbo- um, that is personified by Putin. Right, but there, it's the the picture is much more complex, you know. And I will never agree that Russia, Ukraine was Russified r- 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 because I went to Ukrainian school. I did all my studies in Ukrainian. Of course, there was this, you know, because Russia is is a big civilizational country, right? And you know, I- when we talk about the post-colonial context, for instance, ia- India and and the former British colonies, you know, the, there are certain. This is the political reality. We have four or five centers of, of um, political, economic um, imperialism, we can call it, right? And we have Russia also. This is the reality. And Ukraine uh, has always been in that sphere of influence. But what the Ukrainian diaspora misses, a big point, that Ukraine as a country came into existence under the Soviet Union. you know, And it is the Soviets who gave this country its present um, borders, it's soviet uh, union that actually ukraine uh, in in the 20s we talk about the so-called colonization or um, ukrainization policies no and we have the reality of 70 years of life under under the soviet union and and uh, you know russians they genuinely that's another thing that i also discovered in these last 3 years the russians of course there is this russian imperialism that i don't agree with you know when i hear that ukraine that ukrainian language is just some sort of a version of of the russian language i don't agree with it because we have a whole country you know it's 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 a nation it's a separate nation but we have also to distinguish between this russian imperialism that is is a reality but most of, of Russians, you know, we, we see ourselves as Soviet people. And we really, we were educated into this um, community of Soviet people, of internationalists, you know, who really believed in, in, in this common uh, common na- nation, common cultural uh, basis, you know. And this is what the Ukrainian diaspora misses, because none of them grew up in the Soviet Union. And, you know, the reality on the ground is always, is always more complex than, than what we see in, in the media. So this is, this is why I will never agree with the Ukrainian di- diaspora in this regard. Because, you know, Russian and Ukrainian are close languages. They are close cultures. It's, they, they, they are cousins, and it's unavoidable. And, you know, there is also a simple reality. Ukraine has the largest border with Russia. It's like Canada and the U.S., you can ignore it. You can, you know, try to shut down the whole border, but it's not going to anywhere. It's, it stays there. And you have families, you have close ties, millions of people who are intermarried, who, who, who have, you know, children who speak, who are perfectly bilingual. And, and, and that's why it just drives me crazy when I see this Ukrainian diaspora pushing for a monolithic, mono national model for Ukraine, while in reality, this is a bilingual, bicultural country you know and and this mold will never work for Ukraine for a very simple reason because it is a, it's a richness sorry i just am I'm just uh, imagining some sort of an ideal <laughs> Ukraine you yeah, <no>, <laughs> ask for a politician and, and, and that's yeah that's what just drives me to despair because why why do you why do you try to you know fit to squeeze this rich country into one simplistic Fashion, you know, it's it's not going to work, and and this is part of the uh, uh, deep reason for for this conflict in Ukraine. Yes. Sorry. So
0: there's a lot of history that happened in the Soviet, in the post-Soviet era. That, well, of
1: course, we are talking about 25 years of, of post, yes, post-Soviet experience. Yes.
0: Yeah, Which, and we, and I guess also pre-Soviet that, that that folks from the diaspora don't have because they were there was the Iron Curtain. I suppose
1: it's not uh, pre-Soviet; it's Soviet experience, right?
0: I'm sorry. Yes, pre-Soviet. I mean, pre, are uh, about yeah, pre-89, I guess, if yes. you if you want to put it that way. And yep. uh, 45 to 89, and then 89 to today.
1: Well, 1917, if we are talking about the mainland yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, uh, don't forget it's
0: from yeah. oh. 1917 to
1: 1971. We are talking about the whole almost century.
0: Yeah, and so can, I would I I want to talk a bit about Russia here too because part of what's happening, and I know you write, uh, or your writings appear on the website newcoldwar.org which is where I was looking at a lot of your writing, and I think that's a you know apt title for what's going on and there's a lot of misperception about recent Russian history too so, you know, I read Naomi Klein's book, uh, The Shock Doctrine, and okay. she talks about Russia after uh, after the end of the cold war and how the this economic shock doctrine was applied to russia based on american advice leading to the greatest loss of of living standards by the greatest number of people in history like something like 70 million people fell into poverty and it's and it's like if people now in russia like putin it's partly at least because he reversed a lot of that right i mean is that is that is that Well, your that's sense? correct,
1: absolutely. Yes, that's yes. my reading of the situation. I mean, I, I I've seen the economic indicators. You know, this is the reality. And 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 uh, the 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 nineties was a terrible, was a traumatic, was a tragic experience for uh, for Ukraine and for Russia. You know, I really I didn't pay attention to Russia because I I you know when I came I came to Canada in two thousand two, right? So I lived in Ukraine in the nineties and i remember it was a collapse it was a disaster for it in in terms of of uh, you know pauperization of of uh, ordinary ukrainians uh, in terms of of loss of um, orientation in terms of you know social values it was also a time for of rebirth for uh, religion right it it was a mix it was a diff- difficult experience and uh, russia was you know going uh, they also experienced this economic collapse. And, of course, it was very difficult for them. And, you know, when you look at what Yeltsin did and, and this wild capitalism style of privatization where you have a small elite who is plundering the, the, the what was created under the socialism and all these huge fa- uh, factories and plants, and then and, and you see a, sm- a really uh, very... Uh, and, and you have criminology... Uh, the, you have these mafias and you have bandits who are plundering who, who you, you you couldn't walk on the streets you know streets where the lights were down you know just the whole infrastructure collapses those so that there is no state you No, know, in, in the first in, in the 90s and then the russians experienced in the same way that, as ukrainians did and you have yeltsin you know who drinks and who who basically is a you know is a laughing uh, <laughs> figure for all inter- international politics russia was left you know completely um to to, to be plundered by by the these hawks in in, in um, from the west and of course and the russians you know they had uh, it was very difficult um so i did there is a lot to discuss so when we see the emergence of, of vladimir putin putin is you know he's not a dictator like when i read these so-called analysis in the western press i just i just Cannot, I don't have words for this. You know, I think to myself, where is your critical thinking? You know, where where is your? It's 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 pro, it's more mostly like you know very cheap style propaganda, because they refuse to see that Putin. You no, know, put of course he is a strong leader, right? Putin they call them red tsar. Well, you know that the, we have different. Um, now I speak as, you know, what the Western model of, of society is not good for all of the. People around the world, and we see this—you know—this this deep default of Western type of thinking, this failure in in, in Africa, in in the Middle East, yeah. you know, the the, soul, the the neoliberal democracy, and and, and Russia is you know what we see in russia now it's it's a it's a capitalist it's a democracy right it's a we, we may, might call it a liberal democracy
0: well, you know you don't have to like i mean my point is you don't have to like putin's politics or think he's some kind of leftist to well, argue he's not a leftist for yeah that sake. Putin exactly is not even close <laughs>
1: yes to yeah and you know, and but, you know but, there's sorry I just wanted to say this because I often read in in, in New York Times, in in other I mean mainstream media that Putin wants to and and from from our own politicians (laughs) Mm. that Putin wants to recreate the Soviet Union for God's sake people don't you read what he says no he said that yes I regret the Soviet Union because it was a great country but you know whoever wishes to reconstruct it is a fool or something Mm. like this I, I don't translate word by word but this is what he said Right. But you know, because the Soviet Union is over, right? It's in the past, and nobody tries to rebuild it. <laughs> no, right, right. you know, everybody, anybody, in his own mind, looking at what's in at, at the reality now. You know, it's it's just a yeah. fantasy. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. So
0: yeah, so it's some kind of nationalism, and it's to some degree trying to assert. Russian interests and I guess Russian sovereignty against a history into the '90s and even beyond of fairly predatory capitalist interests in Russia and also a fairly aggressive foreign policy towards Russia.
1: Yes, that's what this is the reaction because you know when in uh, when we go back uh, to to the perestroika period in, in all these talks, you know basically it was also a mix right it it wasn't just um, because the, even uh, bush was uh, they were afraid you know they didn't want actually the, the dismantlement of the soviet union because they were afraid of of these violent breakups that followed after. Yeah. so they tried really to keep the soviet union you know together but for obvious historical reasons uh, and one of them was this uh, nationalism powerful nationalism it fell apart but uh, the the Soviet the, the Russians were not treated the way with respect, especially what followed. So and Putin is the reaction to it, and you know Putin is a deeply he's a Russian guy. He's yeah. a Russian guy who believes, who goes to to church, who who managed to bring under control this, like you said, predatory um, style of of uh, capitalism, because it it was. You know, they were plundering the country. Even Ru- I mean, I I don't mean Western capitalists, right? I mean the the they own Russian oligarchs. Yeah. That's what they did, and that's what's happening in Ukraine. You know, you have a uh, you have a group of different groups of oligarchs vying for power. And what mm-hmm. Putin managed to do, he managed to bring more or less under control. You no, know, and when we look at the politics of the... Russian Central bank, they are liberal policies no? that how they save the Russian ruble in, in after the West imposed sanctions, that the methods that they use are you no know, capitalist measures, no? not socialist by any stretch of imagination means.
0: The, you know a lot of Western journalists point to the, the political assassinations and, and the kind of deaths of opposition figures. Uh, and you've written about you've written about one of them, Magnitsky it's a very detailed case I'd I'd like listeners to to look at Canada's proposed Magnitsky Act and Canadian Russian relations but what part of what you're saying there is uh, that Magnitsky died from you said negligence typical of the Russian bureaucracy and not a premeditated killing so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are awful and horrible that happen Uh, In that part of the world in many parts of the world, but the the assignment of it to Putin's will like Putin went and did this thing is not usually something that can be uh, Backed up right. I mean that's my sense
1: Well, it's because you know when I started reading about it what triggered my interest was this uh, documentary that I saw on the internet, but after that they took it out because probably not probably for copyrights right Mm -hmm. and and, and this guy is andrei he's a russian uh, director movie uh, documentary director right and he Mm -hmm. shot a couple of movies he's he's he was he he is critical of putin right yeah because the the one point that i want to make to to uh, support putin doesn't does not mean that you you know you you love him and, and you approve everything he does yeah. but in in the main uh, decisions, he enjoyed the support of russians so mm-hmm. and and Nikrasov was very critical you know, as I mentioned, he showed a documentary about the the russian Georgian War. In which he belongs to these liberal circles, right? That, that are traditionally, uh, the traditionally oppose uh, the, the authorities in, in Russia. Yeah. And then he was close also to Browder, right? To William Browder, because it we have a clear, neat picture, right? We have Russian corrupted uh, power structures, and then we have a um, whistleblower who uh, who wanted to tell the truth, and they killed him. But when you actually start, when you zoom in and you start reading about different actors involved, at least I uh, I started having doubts, serious doubts. And one of the doubts is that this guy, this Russian director, he uh, he he went. You you would have to see this movie to. I I cannot dive into details, but basically yeah, yeah. I started having serious doubts about this whole, you know, affair. And then you have that the you know I don't I don't believe it, but by definition that the Russian. Judiciary system is is corrupt as we see it here because I I've seen it in Ukraine you know they just the, the people are very easy to manipulate right you brainwash them with media saying that your system is it's still the old Soviet system of justice which is corrupt and no good and and then you have people who just refuse you have a basically a, a system that comes to a complete halt. Because you have these uh, radicals who who, uh, who um, intimidate judges, and then judges just decide, you know, they don't want to really to work uh, seriously because, you know, they could come to your home and they could threaten you. Yeah. And this is what one of the problems of my mind did unleashed these uh, radicals. Right. So, uh, anyway, my point was that, you know, because you hear about this, that your system is corrupt, is... is uh, it's it's not working. You have to change it uh, drastically. This is the same thinking that we see in in, in Magnitsky case, you no? Know? Mm-hmm. And we have this. We have Russian judges. Who, he was uh, Magnitsky and Browder were accused of fraud, financial fraud, right? right? And to really understand what, what happened, you have to dive deeply into the case. And no, who has time in in our right. ta- in, in in we, we <laughs> live in in a society that is. In times that we are all very busy, and we have to take a lot uh, on, on, on the face value, and that's what happens.
0: But in this okay. case, uh, there, the Can- Canada is proposing legislation to punish Russia for this case, and the, the fact that you have to get so deep in order to even understand... What's behind it is is troubling right?
1: it, it is because you know Russia Russia has one from what I see You know people My former Ukrainian Canadian friends Called me Putin agent And whatever oh, <laughs> I, uh, You know the, the problem That uh, r- Russia has From what I, I see um, They don't uh, They understand the importance of, of This p- public relations campaign You know and the importance of, of, of Media influence Mm-hmm. And the importance of of um, creating a certain image, because, like I said, we are we live in we are drowned by information, right? So we are left with no time to to really understand what's happening, and we have to believe. We cannot, you know, ordinary Canadian, ordinary Russian, or ordinary Ukrainian. Does not have time to yeah. to to read and 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 to go into details, or so we we have to rely, you know do I believe this news or I don't? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and and in in the Russian case, you know we have certain, you have opposition, opposition, right? We have Russian opposition um, members who come here to Canada. But we don't see uh, just because you know we have this very powerful Ukrainian lobby, We don't see the other side of the story. No, and 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 it creates a bias, and that's the problem that I have with it, because actually, if you, and 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 you know, there there are Russians here in Canada. They are very, they are not united. Now they they split, because these are people, you know, part of of it, the explanation. The the way I see it is because they are. Um, um, like imperial diaspora, right? You you look at the British diaspora, you look at the Russian diaspora. They they don't feel this need to organize themselves, right? To stick together like mm-hmm. Ukrainians did, mm-hmm. because they were a, a minority. You know, they have this minority complex with the, with the imperial nations, right? Mm-hmm. So there is problem is part part of this is that they don't feel the need to you know to they don't have a very preci- precise ethnic identity, right? Mm-hmm. They also divided politically And and they are very You know, you you have various uh, Wings within the If we could call it Russian diaspora Right, and they are trying They started organizing now When they saw this uh, powerful Russophobia emerging And it's very difficult because uh, You know, you need to have some uh, Some allies within the Mainstream Canadian politics And and right now it looks very monolithic Very anti-Russian so it's difficult to to uh, you know to and take it.
0: Yes. It's a little late to be starting that that effort, right? I mean,
1: right? They, they just to show you know well. how they are not aggressive on you know, on that front, and and, and, and they don't uh, you know they don't really pay in in my opinion they don't maybe I I might just not know, but from my personal experience, what I see, you no, know, there is no concerted effort on behalf of the russian state to to um, uh, at least to um, engage in some sort of a dialogue with pro russian circles outside of russia you know because mm. and, and to support this positive image that these people just for different reasons uh, you know they have to they feel towards russia and this is uh, and then you know the same problem the party of regions in ukraine had because I read the interview by, by of the by the former prime minister of Ukraine, Nikola Azarov, who had to flee for his life, he fled to Russia, and you know in in this Magnitsky um, uh, expi- explanation for for the case, they they say that and again I my guess is that it comes from the Ukrainian Canadian sources, right? Mm-hmm. That he was engaged in corruption and all all kinds of you know blames. On him, you know, I, I followed this guy closely for what he said, what he did. What he, you know, he he went to he had he was forced to flee Ukraine because he he would be otherwise he would be killed. It's very simple, the same for Yanukovych. Mm-hmm. And and he flew to he he fled to Moscow and he set up a committee of um it's called Committee of Salvation of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know, if if he was a corrupt politician and he didn't care about Ukraine, would he do this right. kind of you know, he wouldn't create. You know, and he tries to. He comments regularly on on the decisions, of, by, by the Ukrainian Cabinet of Ministers, and and he published a book about what he did. And he was he was a he's a brilliant guy because he was, you know, when the after the first Orange Revolution, the Ukrainian economy it was all okay, also this crisis, right, economic mm-hmm. crisis of two thousand eight, yeah. and the Ukrainian GDP, uh, you know, plummeted. Plummet. And he was the one who who succeeded in bringing it up and, and, and developing again, the Ukrainian economy. Mm-hmm. And and he, uh, anyway, just to give you a background, and, you know, accuse him of uh, being, you know, of being corrupt. He doesn't have billions in, 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 in uh, banks. He's an honest guy, you know, but he's, mm-hmm. like I wrote in my article, his main problem is that he, he was, he, he speaks Russian, you know, that's it. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And I saw, uh, actually, a um, session in, in the Ukrainian government, when he w- in the Ukrainian parliament, sorry, when he was reporting about economy. And he, he started, he made a genuine effort of um, learning Ukrainian. But, you know, when you start learning a language when you are 60 years old, yeah. you know, I, I'm sorry, I, uh, I also teach French here as a second language, and I see, you know, the struggle that he, English Canadians have with learning French, but nobody mocks them. You no, know, right. nobody calls them a, an, an idiot or an intellectual, you know, a handicap, handicapped, handicapped yeah. person. Yeah. And, but that's what I saw how he was treated. And, you know, the Ukrainian, it was funny. People make, made fun of him. Right. They they s- created a series of cartoons, you know, where they yeah. were basically, it's it's some kind of a, you know, jovial, like, fr- 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 franglais, if you will. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's
1: because, well, I'm sorry, you know, but where is the respect for people? Like I see yeah. it here in Canada. I don't see it in Ukraine. You see, and that's one part of the problem. Anyway, sorry, it's a long detour. But he oh, said, no, okay. you know, yes, that, he, that the problem of the party of regions was that they underestimated the importance of the soft power that comes from media, that comes from public relations campaign. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and that the... the earlier on i just wanted to get back to you know we we can move towards wrapping up but i i wanted to earlier on you said something that i found interesting about how the the western neoliberal model doesn't fit and has shown to f- to be a failure in in africa and the middle east and i i i think i think there's a note of caution here for the ukraine or i keep saying Ukraine for the ukrainian uh nationalists who really want to be part of Europe, uh, you know, there are many different ways to integrate into Europe. And so, you know, people in Ukraine might think we're going to integrate in Europe and become Germany, when in fact it's more likely that you're going to integrate into Europe on a highly unequal basis and become something more like Greece. And uh, and a lot of countries, the smaller countries in Europe, the smaller economies in the European Union, have been suffering a lot uh, because of this unequal integration uh, into Europe. And I I I can't imagine that would be different for Ukraine. Even though I I understand that people might wishful you know wishful thinking might make lead you to think otherwise.
1: You know, yes. Well, of course, the the, the prospects of Ukrainian integration. Of dim because this is, was the main reason why the the, the then government and, and 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 president wanted to take a break, you know, and to negotiate a better transition for Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And those reasons didn't go away, no, because we have Ukrainian was a, an industrialized country, was an right. industrial country. Yeah. When we look at the um, Ukraine in the early uh, independence in, in 1991, Ukraine had maybe the best prospects uh, among all the other Soviet republics in terms of, you know, development. Because mm-hmm. Ukraine had a, an, an industry. Uk- Ukraine had, a you know, technology-developed uh, um, branches of industry. Ukraine had a good agriculture. Ukraine had qualified uh, labor force, you know, mm-hmm. with a high percentage of, um, what do you call them, high technology... Uh, it, it, it was a powerful economy, and what we see throughout the years, you know, we see this, and, and, and of course, one, one of the reasons why the Soviet Union, in my opinion, why the Soviet Union fell, it's because at some point, it, it started losing this um, course, uh, this uh, competition with the West in terms of technology, no, yeah. because we all, we, in, in a real world, right, in not in wishful thinking uh, world. We have the economy, right? It's economy is the, that is the basis of uh, everything, including politics. And you have a highly developed industrial West, and you have a Ukraine with a good industry, but that needs modernizing. Yeah. Right? And what we see in Ukraine in the 90s, we see the emergence, the same as in Russia, we see the emergence of these oligarchs who, to a large extent, are interested in making a fast profit without investing, capital investment in, in economy, in an industry, what is needed. You no know, and and contrary to what i read in, in in the analysis of by by many ukrainian canadians he, the, the, when we take the the biggest ukrainian oligarch um, ahmedov he invested actually in in modernization of mines in eastern ukraine right so it's not only plundering it's also investing and in, in, in making capital investments in the development of this industry so when we go back for instance to 2014 before the the euromaidan revolution of dignity the Ukrainian GDP in, in u s uh, dollars was one hundred thirty three billion dollars. What we see in two thousand and thirteen we see it drops to ninety billion right. no so we, we we see a drastic you know um, fall yeah. of of the GDP and what we see and this trend towards the de of Ukraine continues and yeah. now uh, Ukraine emerges you know as an agricultural producer basically right. So yeah. it loses, uh, and it it was clear from the beginning that Ukrainian industry, that was you know part of the just common economic and technological space with Russia, would lose. didn't stand any chance with with Europe, who has different techn- uh, technological standards. Yeah. You know, and of course, Ukraine will. Uh, it, it it's you know we see the the fall of of all the economics and and, and life standards in, in Ukraine. I mean, if in two thousand and thirteen. The, in average salary was close to four hundred dollars now it's to less than it's 180 dollars right you know, and we see that the drop in all, all economic indicators so it, it was clear that, that Ukraine you no know, didn't couldn't could not possibly integrate into the European Union as an equal partner because we see the same trend you know in Poland in, in Romania we see the the, the industry we see when the Western industry stepping in, and 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 uh, that's what it is. You know, this is and within this European Union, right? We have the main countries, and then we have the peripheral countries. that, that, yeah. that yeah. So Ukraine, of course, it's uh, these trends. These reasons did not disappear; they are there. From what I see, you know, in in Ukraine, the problem is that the U- Ukrainians they don't. Those who think independently, who have their own mind, they don't stand any chance in in in. in, in Ukraine today, because this is a mantra. I don't um, know if, if it answers the question. People losing
0: their people losing their critical faculties is certainly something familiar uh, from closer to, to North America. I and maybe my last question. You've been following. You know, we're recording this two days after Trump launched the missile strikes on the airfield in Syria, and you know we've we've seen a, a Rush, Russia's made a statement saying opposing this. <laughs> And I, I I understand you've been following the Ukrainian reaction to it, so I, I was just curious what that what that looks like.
1: Well, you know, the the, the reality is that uh, Russia in, Russia did annex Crimea, right? It, it, they organized the referendum. Referendum, in my opinion, was legal, right? Because the majority of Crimeans wanted closer ties with Russia. So, to me, it's a, it's a it's a mixed picture, right? Yeah. Yes. So, Crimea was annexed, but the reasons f- for which it was annexed, you know, the 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 will of the population, to me, legitimizes to a certain extent these actions. Why, why this action? Why I mentioned Crimea? Because Ukrainians, you know, they have this um, fence They have this. Um, they really, are upset really, with Russia yeah, for for yeah. legitimate reasons. Yeah. So this reaction and and then the support of of uh, the rebellion in eastern Ukraine. Although you know what I don't I don't see any stationary Russian troops in in eastern Ukraine. They did some incursions in, in, in uh, August of 2014 and in um, February 2015. But bottom line, it's it's a grassroots movement in in eastern Ukraine. And and uh, so my reaction, Ukrainian reaction, is is understandable and, and and completely you know explainable in my opinion. Right. So it's it's a it's a it's a tragedy that I see between Russia and Ukraine, and I um, unfortunately these relations are spoiled for many years to come, and it will take a lot of time to, to.
0: Is there any? Sorry, I know I said it was the last question, but is there any scope for dialogue? Are there any any organized? Efforts or groups that are trying to um, bridge this.
1: Well, this... on the on the level of civil society, there is um, there is a lot of there the, 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 there is uh, you know the borders are still open, right and Ukrainians still can move well more or less freely b- between Russia and Ukraine. And we have over two million uh, Ukrainian they call them Ostroviters but uh, they uh, these mm. seasonal migrants right who, who yeah. go and work in Russia. So the, the the image that we see that is projected in the Western and Ukrainian media, it reflects from only partially this reality. Mm-hmm. And I before we started this conversation, you know, I looked at the recent um, sociological surveys in, in Ukraine, and we see that the, the the number of Ukrainians who are positively who view Russia positively increased. In, in traditional r- regions, right, that were pro-Russian, for instance, in southern Ukraine, it increased from 85 to 65 percent, and eastern Ukraine from 47 to 63, right. And this is in spite of this very powerful, uh, one-sided Ukrainian version of events, right? Right, right. And of course, we see the radicalization also in 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 western and central Ukraine, where the positive attitude drops, right. We yeah. see in central ukraine from it went down s- side from thirty five to thirty one and in, we- in western ukraine from twenty six to sixteen right, so we see this division that probably drives the the deep deepens but uh, i i think i'm po- i'm uh, optimistic in the long run. No, because uh, people think also for themselves. They don't only read news and know they are critical of and and the level of popularity of Ukrainian politicians is is catastrophically low, right? It's less than 10%. So the disappointment is there. How it will develop, the problem is that there is no alternative in in the Ukrainian political, you know, uh, landscape. I don't see anybody who can offer any alternative. Because so. they are all, you know, they have all various shades of, of gray, so to speak. <laughs> there is no, yeah. there is nobody on, on, on the her political horizon who could change it. So, probably we'll see this. Uh, and this is one of the, this was and it remains one of the huge problems in Ukraine this distrust of, of politicians in, in Ukraine for good reasons. But on the other hand, you know, what can you do with a country where the population, uh, does not trust politicians on on some deep level it's very difficult right for any politician to do anything right because you you are your actions are questioned your your uh, your no legitimate maybe worries uh, anyway it's 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 one of the it's one of the major problems the way i see it yeah
0: cynicism right cynicism that ends up Leading it's it's not some change.
1: sort of a vicious circle. You see, you, you try to do something, but people will doubt you, they will question you, and <laughs> at yeah. the end you say to yourself, well, you know, what can I do? I tried to change the world, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and as a as a, as a cynic, you know, you end up giving the space up to people who are not looking for the public interest, right? And if exactly,
1: you, because they, uh, know, it, a lot of... You know, I have to um, also to remind myself that... Because I'm an uh, idealist, maybe, but by, I don't know, by upbringing, by my own nature. And I, when I see what what the Ukrainian politicians do and actions and, and, and they discourse and I ask myself, do they really care about, you know, ordinary Ukrainians? And I have to remind myself and my Ukrainian, you know, friends remind me that don't forget, you know, politics, it's not about values, it's not about principles. Right. Politics, it, yeah. it's about enrichment, about following your own business interests. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 one of the major problems in Ukraine and yes and unfortunately I don't see it changing. And if
0: the if there's country. a if there's if there's a Canadian diaspora, Ukraine diaspora listeners to this program and they want to play a constructive role, what would you suggest that they do?
1: No, I I would suggest that they really uh, engage in in a reconciliation process in Ukraine and they don't they they try, you know, they uh, force the Ukrainian government actually to follow through the Minsk, Minsk agreements, and 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 they don't, uh, you know, push for the monolithic uh, Ukrainian ethnic uh, type of of Ukraine, because as I said, Ukrainian Ukraine is a bilingual c- country. You know, this is the reality, and and you you won't change anybody, right? You just have to adapt to that reality. So why, if Ukraine to be is to become a democracy? You know, these all ethnic minorities, including Russians, should be allowed because this is one of the reasons for this conflict, right? It's, it's culture, it's language, and it's not going to, to to go to disappear. Yeah. Because most Ukrainians, they don't, they speak Russian, you know, they understand Russian, and then, like I said, this is a richness. And when we look at Canada, what we have now, thirty-eight million, right? Of, of thirty-nine, close approaching thirty-nine uh, millions of population, and we have seven, over seven million. Uh, Quebecois, right? Who speak French? When we look, uh, the population of Ukraine is roughly forty-five million now, and we have at least, you know, eight million Ukrainians who are bilingual, or who, for, for whom the Russian language is the n- n- mother tongue or native language. So why, <laughs> Ukrainian? Because they are afraid that you know Russia will invade, and they, the, the Ukraine they, they still suffer from this complex of complex of okay. inferiority. You know right. that shouldn't be there because Ukraine is is a it's a country that exists. Ukrainian language exists, and and you know you cannot control those things by adopting stupid laws about you know uh, limiting the the, ex, the import of Russian books in in Ukraine and basically promoting this very simplistic uh, um, thinking. You know we live in in an open world for God's sake. It's censoring uh, censoring. So have you know,
0: have that security of the, that the, the Ukrainian language is not going to disappear. Of course, it's not going to disappear. It's there, and,
1: and that's why I like I said. You know, I I was shocked by this complex of inferiority that they feel, mm-hmm. because Ukraine is a beautiful country, you know, and then the language is not threatened, for God's
0: sake. Mm-hmm.
1: But you you oh. have to yes. Anyway, I have a yeah. lot to say about this.
0: So. <laughs> well, no, thank you, thank you, Helena. Thank uh, you, Gaston, for, for providing
1: me this opportunity. To, to, yeah. uh, you you asked some very good questions. I am glad that you.
0: No, I appreciate. Much. As you can as you could tell from my questions, I am not, you know, far far from an expert on this. But I'm really glad to have one on the show so that I'm at least listening.